We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. I, uh, this is the second time in six months that I've put pants on, like long pants, sorry. Um, once, a couple, uh, uh, three weeks ago, I preached at Missio Mesa, and so wore, my wife always, my wife grew up in a small Southern Baptist church, and so she says, like, you, can't, you cannot preach in shorts. So I'm not allowed to, I don't know if Chris does or not, but I'm not allowed to. So I preached a couple weeks ago at Missio Mesa in Tempe. We're not meeting in person yet. Uh, we did a couple in June, a couple outside gatherings, so I was, I was allowed to wear shorts there. And, um, uh, but we're going to start back up next week, Lord willing. Uh, and so this is the second time that I've worn long pants, and it's hot. So um, second thing I want to say is, if anybody, is anybody, was anybody around back in the Church of the Cross days with Brent Thomas? Does anybody even know who that name is? Good. So uh, just a little point of connection. My wife, Leslie, and Brent's wife, Christy, were college roommates their freshman year, uh, and I think all throughout at, uh, at Grand Canyon back in the, in the mid-90s. And so we've known, known the Thomases from before uh, we were married, and uh, remember kind of talking to them and coaching them as they planted uh, this church many years ago. And so it's good to be here. I did tell, we had an elder meeting on, I think, Tuesday, I think it was, and, uh, and I was asking Chris about the the Zoom setup that you guys have here, because looking to replicate it a little bit with uh, for Missional Training Center as how we're setting up the, a hybrid classroom this year. And uh, I was like, I'd love to come check it out. He's like, yeah, you can come and just preach for us too. I was like, okay, sounds good. And he, and he, did, he was like, I was like, well, what are you preaching on? He's like, identity. So I was like, I got that one. And so I, this is where even, I, I was just sitting there. It's funny you said that, because I was like, ah, what do I do? Kind of like the traditional one I've done a thousand times, and I've, I've just been praying like that. I woke up this morning and like wrote this other sermon that I feel really strongly about. So I'm going to give you that one. And then if I don't actually hit identities like Chris really wants me to and get the actual stuff, then I can come back again and do that again. Or Chris, you could just mess your schedule up and do it next week or something like that. So I apologize for that. Uh, also, it's a little warm in here. And those of you who are on Zoom, you only have so much time before you get Zoomed out and you don't want to focus anymore. And so I'm going to try to, I got a lot but I'm going to try to keep it pretty, uh, pretty compact. So if you have a Bible, open the Bible. If you use a Bible on your phone, that's less than ideal, but still more ideal than not having anything. So get your phone app out, turn your notifications off, put it in sleep mode, whatever you need to do. You guys have way more paper Bibles here than we have in Tempe. I'm very thankful for you. Way to go. Um, but we're going to look at a bunch of different passages. Uh, you might want to look some of them up, maybe not all of them. Uh, but we are talking about our identity as God's people. And so this year, 2020, has been quite a year. Between COVID-19 slash coronavirus or whatever we're supposed to call it, between racial injustice, cries and concerns and riots and protests and all these different things, uh, there is an election coming up, which is uh, no matter what side of the aisle you sit on or how you think about this, it will continue to be crazy over the coming months as we continue on. And even though uh, we're now meeting in person, which we didn't for a long time, uh, no doubt this coronavirus, that it's going to continue to be awkward, continue to be weird. I was talking to a family earlier this morning that's saying, hey, we have all these, 
all these kids and are we doing online school or not online school? There's just all this anxiety and it feels in very many ways, whether you get your news from CNN or Fox News or anywhere in between or outside or wherever, no matter where you're at, this has been a crazy, tumultuous, difficult year. And it is nothing compared to the year 587 B.C. Now, this is a cakewalk, y'all. This year has been and will continue to be, I'm guarantee you this, a cakewalk compared to 587 B.C. Because in 587 B.C., for about 30 years prior to that, for the 30 years before that, so you're thinking you're counting up to like into the 600s, if you're in Israel, ancient Israel, you're part of God's people, the world power on the scene 30 years earlier had been a, a nation called Assyria. And Assyria was always knocking at your door. They were always coming down. I just said Assyria and Siri went off, sorry. Um, Assyria was always coming down and they were threatening that they were going to destroy us and kill us and come on the scene. And so here's the deal. Whatever 2020 holds for us here in the United States, there hasn't been for the last 30 years another world power that's been coming down and threatening to do away with us. In fact, here's the reality. As we stand here in the United States, we are, if not the, we have been for the last 30 years, one of, if not the world power. But if you're in 587 in Israel, if you're Jeremiah, the prophet, let's say, or one of the other prophets, for 30 years, it's been the Assyrians who are going to come down and wipe you out. But something has changed. There's been a whole nother world power, a, a nation called Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. And Babylon is now the world power. So you're sitting here and you've had one world power coming at you trying to, they want to destroy you. And they've been coming at you for the last hundreds of years. And now there's another world power, Babylon, that has wiped out the Assyrians. They're no more. And now this other one is coming in and they're threatening to kill you. And by 587, they've come all the way to your doorstep. The only way I can think about this, I can't even get my mind around this, but Imagine that Canada, just go with me on this. Imagine Canada, the sweet apologetic people to the north. Like imagine that they became somehow the dominant militarized world power and they had, were bent on conquest, everything. And they'd already taken over Europe. They've taken over Africa, taken over Russia, taken over the east. And now they're coming down across the northern border. They've come all the way down across the northern states and they're all the way down to Arizona and we've heard that they've already hit Flagstaff and they're on their way down to Phoenix and they're going to wipe us out while they apologize the whole way. But they're going to come down and that's where Jeremiah and the Israelites find themselves. They're about to be taken off by the Canadians, Babylonians, by the Canadians are about to take them and bring them back to Toronto. They're going to wipe out our city, Phoenix. They're going to level downtown. And they're going to carry all of our leaders back to Toronto. And every, can you imagine, like, what if that was a reality? After 2020, it doesn't seem that far off. But what if that was like a reality? And so Jeremiah is this prophet who's listening to God and he's trying to encourage and give hope and correction 
to God's people that are still living there in Jerusalem in 587 and around that time. And there's seven words in Hebrew that Jeremiah gives to God's people. If you're taking notes on one of those note sheets or you have your own journal, there's seven words, and this is going to get confusing. It's seven words in Hebrew, but it's 11 in English. Hebrew, the Hebrew language has this way of condensing things to be way more poetic. So it's seven words in Hebrew, but it's 11 words in English. And so you're going to have to write 11 words down, but it's actually seven in Hebrew. But Jeremiah gets these seven words. And he says these seven words, or 11 in English, to the people right in the middle of Jeremiah 31. And it's this great encouragement, and it's a great hope. And I think in 2020, we need these words just as much as Jeremiah's people did in 587. Here's the words. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I think I got the number right. Is that right? I will be their God, and they will be my people. 11. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will be their God, and they will be my people. We're talking about identity today. In order to understand our identity in Christ, we have to understand this foundation that Jeremiah lays for us. And he was getting that because it was the foundation you're going to see upon which he stood and upon which all of Israel stood. I will be their God and they will be my people. I want to use that this morning as a path into understanding our gospel identity today in 2020 in the midst of this mess. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. Amen. Would you say that with me? As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. Amen. As it was in the beginning. Genesis 127 says this. We're starting at the beginning. As it was in the beginning. So God created mankind, men and women, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In the beginning, God creates the people. He is their God. They are his people. He is with them. Has anybody done, has anybody done the story of God, story form way, where you do the, the dialogue, some of Chris or somebody else tells a story and then you have dialogue on it. You go through the whole story of the Bible. Has anybody done that? Y'all need to do it. Guys, more than who's raising their hand. That's all right. Listen, I'm telling you guys, it is incredible. So what you do, there's, nine, I think, 19 or 20 stories and so like the leader, we'll, we'll sit down. I'll tell a story for three or four or five minutes and then just start asking questions. What'd you learn about God? What do you learn about God's people? What do you think that is? Why do you think the tree was there in the garden? What was that all about? And so we're asking questions. One of the things when we tell the first story of creation, what every, I've probably done this a hundred times, led through this story of God. And one thing I'm always, it always happens. I'm always shocked by it, but it always stands out to people. Like when you tell the creation story, it always shocks people. They're like, what do you learn about God? And notice, and oh no, the question is, what is God's relationship to his creation like? And it always shocks people like, God's relationship with creation, like he's there with them, like he's involved. He's a part of it, giving great care. And people always say, I always think of God as being far away and distant and far off. But the reality is that in the creation story, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God is present 
there with his people. He is their God, and they are his people. He is there with them. He's not far off. So as it was in the beginning, he was their God, and they will be his people. As it was with Abraham, in Genesis 17, 7, I told you to get your Bibles out, I'm just, and then I told you I'm going to go fast, and I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, so you can try to turn there if you want. You don't have to. Sorry. Genesis 17, 7, listen to what it says. Listen to what God says to Abraham after the fall, after the rebellion, after Cain and Abel murder each other, after Lamech is the first polygamist, after every inclination of their heart is always evil continually in Genesis 6, and then you have the flood, and then you have the Tower of Babel, and so it goes down and down and down. You see the X there. After all that stuff happens from that X of the rebellion, after all that, God makes a promise in Genesis 12, and then in Genesis 17, he comes back to Abram, and he says, this is what I'm doing, and establishing the promise, and establishing that the arrow is going forward, the story is continuing on, he says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And listen, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The reason I'm establishing this covenant, I'm coming to you is because I'm going to be your God and to all your descendants after you. I will be your God and you will be my people. As it was before the Exodus, they end up in, in Egypt and they got to get out of there. And he says in Exodus 6, 7, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. The reason God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt was because he wanted them to be freed up to worship him and for him to be their God, their Lord and their master. As it was uh, after the Exodus in Leviticus 26, 12, he says, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. In Deuteronomy 26, 17, 18, you have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in obedience to him, that you will keep his decrees, commands, and laws, that you will listen to him. And the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession as he promised, and that you are to keep all his commands. It was repeated as Israel's enduring identity by Jeremiah and the prophets in Jeremiah 31, 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. There's those 11 words in English, seven in Hebrew. Here's why I'm reading all this scripture to you. I want you to see, I, Jeremiah did not just make this up, but he knew that this was the relationship and the identity of God to his people all throughout from the beginning as it was in the beginning, is now in Jeremiah's time and ever shall be. Paul then picks it up. In 2 Corinthians 6.16, Paul says, As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So Paul says that, that this is true about Christians like us. It's true now. This is us. This is where we fit into the story. He is our God. We are his people. And so hold on. I'm going to give you one more verse. Remember what we said at the beginning? You all repeated with me. We said, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. Listen to where the story of the Bible ends. In Revelation 21, 3 and 4. World without end. Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people. Every time I do the story of God, at the very beginning, people are so amazed, like, wow, God's present with his people. Like, he's dwelling with his people. He creates the people to create the whole earth into a beautiful garden, into a city. Like, that's his goal, is that he, he creates the earth, he creates a garden, and then he puts the people in a garden, and then he wants them to, to work the garden so that the whole earth would reflect his glory. Like, that's what he's doing at the beginning but then they mess it up and it seems like God is always distant from his people. It feels like God's always, God and his people, they're never quite together. But the picture at the end is someone screaming, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And when he's there with his people, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Chris Wright says this. It is, in other words, a covenantal relationship that was true for the Israelites of the Old Testament that has been extended through the gospel of Jesus Christ to believing Jews and Gentiles from all nations and will one day be the universal status of the entire redeemed human race from every tribe, language, and nation. From Genesis to Revelation, God is creating a people for himself. And so from there, within that story, from Genesis to Revelation, God is creating a people for himself. Now let me be real with you for a second. Can I be really honest? You guys aren't that impressive. How many people in here? 40? There's like 40 people in here. How many people online? Another 10, 20? Less than that? It's hot. Like, there's nothing special about us in some ways. We're just like, we're here in kind of this random part of Phoenix. I live over, we got... Next week, we're going to gather together well about the same number of people over in, in Tempe. It's going to be hot as well. We're going to be figuring out, do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? How do we do it? What, what do we do? In some ways, look, y'all are beautiful. I'm not saying you're not beautiful. You're wonderful, beautiful people. But you're not that, this isn't that impressive. But at the same time, do you realize this? What's assembled right in here as you look around in this sweaty room with a bunch of people trying to figure out what am I doing with my kids with online education or not, or how do we do foster care and adoption? How do we, what do I even do with this apartment complex and how are we doing? As you're wrestling and trying to figure these things out, what's gathered here in this room and the people zooming in and watching, we are the very people that God is doing this with. We are the people that God has formed a covenant relationship with. And we've been brought in, not because we're so awesome, not because we're great, but because Christ is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And because Christ has been the God-man who is God and man together. He is God with us. He has come and he has dwelled with us. And we are now in Christ. We find ourselves in Christ in the same way where the Father and the Son had a perfect relationship, loving relationship together. We are now brought into that relationship. 
And our identity is that we are in Christ primarily. Can you say that with me? Just say, we are, we are in Christ. Say it with me. We are in Christ. That means that you are bound up into that loving relationship. We are a part. This is, and so here's the secret sauce of Missio for the last dozen years. Something that's been just really helpful is what I just said is absolutely true. In and of yourselves, you're not that impressive. None of us are that impressive. But because of the fact that we are in Christ, we are brought into this thing that God is doing, that he is going to be their God. He is our God. We are his people. We are God's people, the creator God's people in the world. And because of that, because we're in Christ, we are now brought into that. The secret sauce of Missio is we just give language to that and force people (laughs) into missional communities where you have to live that out. And what we want to do is just over and over and over remind you not of what you have to do, but about who you already are. You're already in Christ. And not just that, the language we use. We just want to say we are a family of missionary servants. Because over and over throughout the scriptures, what God is doing from Adam and Eve to Abraham to Israel to the church with Paul, to the church, us today as Missio Phoenix and on into the new creation is what God is doing is calling together a family of missionary servants. We're a family. We have been adopted by the Father. The Father has adopted us, so we are family. Listen, if you're in Christ, you put your faith in him, you don't have to try to earn to get yourself adopted. You don't have to earn to try to find a seat at the table. You have a seat at the table. You're a part of the Father's family. One thing on family before I move on, I just want to say a couple brief words. I'm going to ask you all a question about each of these. One thing about family, I've just been finding, I wonder wonder if, if you notice this. I realize when I talk about that family identity, I talk about it and the privileges that we have. Gosh, there is great privilege in having a seat at the table, being adopted in the family, He is our father. We are his children. We don't have to try. We're not slaves and we're not orphans, but we are adopted into his family. And there's great privilege in that. And so do not hear me say, don't write me an email. Don't write Chris an email and say, Chris said we don't have privileges. We do have great privileges. But I wonder also, part of being a family is that there's also responsibility or obligation. Does that make sense? Like this is the thing for Leslie and I, we have uh, four teenagers in the home and it's like, they all have a seat at the table. They're all getting dinner every night. We love them. They're here. They're ours. They're with us. But for Leslie and I, like Arthur is like, there's obligations, there's responsibilities for being a part of this family. So do the dishes, take the trash out. Don't hate your sister. Speak kindly to each other. Show up at her volleyball game. Show up at his baseball game. We're there. We're family. There's obligations. Like, I don't expect Chris to show up at my son's baseball game. Neither does my son. But my son expects this Chris to show up at his baseball game. Because as his father, as a part of the family, there's obligations. When you think of family, that we're family together, I want you to talk about this amongst yourselves. So just turn to a couple people around you. When you think of family... I will be their God. They will be my people. I'm adopted into the family of the Father. He's my, we're there. When you think of family, do you think more in terms of uh, privileges or in terms of obligations? 
Is there one that's out of balance? How do you, do you hold both those together? When you think of being a part of God's family, do you think more in terms of the privileges or the obligations with it? So just take about two minutes to talk about that with some people around you. Ready? Go. All right. Uh, just in the interest of time, let me just say a couple things about missionaries and servants, and then we'll do one more kind of discussion. All three of you guys are Kriegers, right? Okay, I thought so. I was like, wait, I don't know. If I said to Will, who he's in teaching, teaching kids right now, if I said to Will afterwards, I was like, if I said, hey, dude, you need to be a dad to your kids. He wouldn't say back to, listen, he wouldn't say back, and I'm like, he's like, those three? I was like, yeah, you need to be a dad to them. He wouldn't say back to me, Chris, I am their dad. I can do it. I can do a DNA test if you'd like. I am their dad. What he'd understand I was saying by that is, hey, you need, like, those kids were not being responsible. They were talking the whole time. You're not, you're fine. Don't worry. This is all hypothetical. Like, your kid, he'd be, like, he'd go up, he'd, like, run away from me, run up to, what'd you do during the service? So here's the thing. When I say missionaries, see if this makes sense. When I say we are missionaries, I'm not saying that we have to do a DNA test to, to become missionaries. We, uh, that's what I'm talking about. We are missionaries. If we're in Christ, we're part of God's family, we are his missionary people, his representatives in the world. And so in the same way where I don't have to tell Will, hey, you're a parent to these three kids. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize that's what I was. He's like, I know. That's where we need to be as missionaries. And it's not where most of us are. This is not how we think of mission. We think of mission primarily as something we need to do, not who we are. This more than any of the other identities. We always think of mission as like, as soon as I say, it's like, okay, we need to go do some more apartment complex stuff. Okay, we need to go adopt some more kids. Okay, we need to go serve. We need to go preach the gospel to someone else. I need to go do some more recycling. I need to go on another mission trip. I need to go do something. When I say we are missionaries, I'm not primarily saying it's something else we need to do. I'm primarily saying this is who we are. In a way, what I want to say to Will when he comes back, I want to say, Will, you're a father to those three kids. And what I mean by that, if I say it that way, he's like, what do you mean? I was like, man, they were so good. Like they were tracking, they were paying attention, they were laughing at my jokes unlike anybody else. It was amazing. Like, and they're just, they're wonderful kids. I'm, what I'm saying there is both affirming, Will, you are a dad to them. That's your identity. And you're being faithful in that vocation. You're being faithful to live out that identity of being a father. And so this is it for us with missionary is that we are missionaries. And now the question is, will we be faithful? I want us to be faithful to live out of that identity. We are missionaries whether we, whether we want to be or not. And some of us may never go on a mission trip. We may never serve someone in an apartment complex. We may never speak the gospel to someone, never see anybody come to Christ. We're going to die and we go stand before Jesus. And here's the deal. We've still been as missionary. We just haven't been very faithful at it. This might mess the metaphor up and, and beware. Will could walk away tomorrow, move to Australia, never talk to you guys again. He's still your dad. Does that make sense? Like the DNA test still says he's their dad. But, but he wasn't very faithful at that. 
he might not have been very faithful at being their dad. And so what does it look like for us as missionaries to be faithful, to be faithful, to be missionaries, representatives, ambassadors of God? And then finally, servants. We're a family of missionary. We're servants. We want to be here to serve our city, to serve our neighbors, to serve people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We do that by serving. And so how do we live out that servant identity? I'm going to ask you two questions to talk to your neighbors about as well. And uh, here, uh, being a family of missionary servants over the last six months, it's changed quite a bit, hasn't it? What, here's the first question. What, is, what have you found to be the most difficult part of living as a family of missionary servants over the last, during the time of COVID? How has COVID made that so much harder, more difficult, annoying, impossible to do? Go ahead and talk with each other about that. Ready? Go. One of, the, one of my favorite parts uh, of the culture of this congregation, and you've had this culture for, for years and years and years, whether you realize it or not, and every time myself or Kevin or Charlie or someone else from another Missio congregation is here and then comes back, we always remark about this. But it's the, uh, the, the sharing where you do evidences of grace. And just the way you guys have that as a part of your culture and sharing and like, this is evidence of grace. This is where it's always, it's always really powerful. And so one, I just want to say, I appreciate those of you shared even this morning, super encouraging. And it's always like, man, I want to, how do we create that more and more in our congregations as well? I'd love to, um, as before we end and we move to, to the Lord's table, I'd love just to open this up. Maybe if a couple of people want to share something, I think it could be an evidence of grace. I just asked you to share where has it been frustrating over the last six months to try to be a family of missionary servants? Because COVID really impedes a lot of that. But let me flip that around. Would anybody want to share a story or an example of a way where you've been able over the last six months to live out that identity faithfully? We're in the same way where Will uh, has faithfully parented, loved, been a dad to these kids over the last several years. Well, uh, Anybody have an example of like, here's how we've been able to be faithful and creative and use our imaginations and, and being a family of missionary servants. Here's what it's looked like over the last six months or so. Would a couple, maybe anybody want to raise their hand? I don't know if we can do it on Zoom as well, if anybody's got any ideas, but um, I'd love to hear from just a couple of people to share some evidence of God's grace working through you to be faithful family missionary servants. I'll share for a couple of things for our missional community, and then maybe you guys can think if anybody wants to, if anything comes to mind. Uh, one, right at the beginning, we started, uh, started doing on Zoom every morning at 7.30 uh, with a group from our missional community, but also some others, something called the morning prayers from the, it's like an Anglican thing. It's this half hour set of prayers and scriptures that we read together. And uh, we've been doing it for six months, every single day. And there's been, it's been amazing as we've been doing that praying and reading scripture together every morning at 7.30 to 8. It's been amazing, the relationship, the family dynamic that's been developed through that. Uh, another is uh, all our gyms shut down. And so we did like social distancing, working out outside in my driveway and bought overpriced equipment on OfferUp and have been having people. And it's been this really cool missionary thing where our neighbors now are seeing us work out even throughout the middle of the summer. We've had other, we had a, a homeless uh, 
friend from a shower ministry that one of the MCs does came with and worked out with us on Friday night. We call it Beach Body Friday. So we do like a lazy workout on Friday and then eat pizza and swim in the pool. And so like she came and worked out with us and hung out. And it's like, we would have never done this if we had just kept going to our own gyms and doing stuff. And so it's this really weird thing where COVID's like forced us to some new rhythms, but to be faithful as a family of missionary servants in some new kind of exciting ways. Anybody got anything? Yeah. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think COVID has, uh, this season has brought people's needs kind of to the forefront where they're like, they're more vocal about what their needs, actual needs are. And so how can we step in there to, to be willing to meet those, meet people's needs? Really good. Be servants. On Zoom. Right on. That's really cool. It's cool to see like the not just like you individual, like hey, you're, you have an opportunity in your vocation as a teacher to, to serve, to meet a need, but like how can the family come together? Like we're a family of servants. And so bringing that together, that's really cool. Will you guys pray with me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that from the beginning, uh, throughout all of history to today, And then into the future, world without end, we thank you that you're a God who you have called us, you're our God, and we are your people. We thank you that we have a sure and steady identity, that we don't need to try to earn our place at your table. We don't need to try to, uh, yeah, we we don't have to do anything for this identity, but it's been given to us by you through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're so thankful for that. We pray that just as Will has been faithful as a father, we pray that we would be faithful as a family of missionary servants, that we would play our role well in your story, that we would live out of the great privilege of this identity, and that we would also uh, take up our obligations to faithfully play our role in your story. So Jesus, it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.